0: good afternoon 335 is the time on this friday october the first thanks for tuning in to nl newsday all right the legislative assembly set to resume here on monday so in preparation of things getting back underway from a bc government perspective pleased to be welcoming to the show now leader of the official opposition shirley bond of course with the bc liberal party shirley how are you here on this friday
1: I am great, and thanks for having me on. I appreciate it.
0: Yeah, I appreciate you taking some time. I know you're always willing to come on, but I still always appreciate it when you accept the invitation. Okay, I well, wanted to just... Happy to be here. Yeah, I wanted to just start by taking a quick look back at yesterday. Of course, it was the first National Day for Truth and Reconciliation. Uh, just curious what, what you kind of did to mark the occasion.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, I know it was a very, very powerful day in Kamloops. I certainly heard that from your two MLAs uh, as as recently as yesterday afternoon. Here in Prince George, there was a smaller but very meaningful opportunity for some of us to gather informally at Clayton A Memorial Park. Uh, I took the opportunity also to just stop and reflect. I've been reading a great book by Phyllis Webstad. um, and, And so just really thinking about what each one of us have to do in order to move us forward on that uh, that path to reconciliation. So I, I found it a very meaningful day, uh, and I was very grateful to be able to share that uh, with some uh, some uh, some of the my constituents
0: here in Prince George. Yeah, for sure, it was definitely a very powerful day, and uh, particularly for us here in Kamloops, that is that is for mm-hmm. sure. Okay, let's uh, let's talk about some of the things that were discussed during your availability here earlier this week. You know, sort of getting mm-hmm. prepared for the legislative assembly to resume next week got a number of different questions so we'll go through some of the topics and and one of the hot conversation topics I suppose is, is vaccine status cards right now we're a couple of weeks into this program for the most part from what I'm hearing I haven't heard too much issue but I'm sure uh, there has been you know a few instances at or out there where people are not uh, necessarily complying whether it be from an individual perspective or from a business perspective I mean have you been especially for you up in the northern health region where mm-hmm. I know vaccinations are a little bit lower than where or they are in other areas of the province. Are you hearing any concerns about the use of the status card, and and you know particularly from the business side of things, are are most businesses in compliance with what's going on?
1: I think that you know the vast majority of businesses want to do the right thing and are trying very hard to do that. Uh, some of them are facing some backlash uh, from from people. Um, I think the concern we've heard most specifically is around enforcement and what mm. happens uh, when a business is open, it's compliant, and people uh, are, are causing issues, especially when some of the uh, you know the frontline workers in those uh, those places um, are often young. And so we have heard some challenges around that. We've been asked. Asking the government questions, for example, about who supports businesses in that uh, when that situation occurs. We continue to be told that you know you reach out to bylaw enforcement officers or the non-emergency line of the RCMP, but there has been some confusion on that front. So we want to make sure that when businesses need help. They get it, and that that's a very important uh, aspect of the of the vaccin- vaccination card. Uh, you know, here in Northern British Columbia, we are really going through a very difficult time. Our our hospital, similar to what you you've experienced in Kamloops, we have staffing challenges, we have capacity issues. Uh, it's a very serious concern, and and obviously we continue to raise those issues uh, directly with Minister Dix and the government.
0: Yeah, uh, does it does it feel like things are improving at all in northern health i mean there's been a lot of focus on what's going on in the northern health authority here for uh, you know the better part of 10 or so days and and you know getting those vaccination rates up and trying to improve the situation when it comes to covid in in your area in your neck of the woods i mean are you feeling like the uh, increased emphasis on the northern part of the province is making any difference to this point
1: well, that's a great question. And and, and frankly, we, we were you know pleased uh, to start seeing some of the numbers, for example, in a, in a community like Fort St. John, vaccination numbers are increasing. And one of the reasons that's happening, I think, is that elected officials, no matter where they sit in the legislature or whether they're a regional district director or a mayor, uh, everyone is working together to try to drive those vaccination numbers up. So, you know, we remain optimistic that people will understand that the vast majority of people that are in intensive care units across British Columbia today are people who are not vaccinated. So it's so important that if you can be vaccinated, you should be. And it's something that we've, uh, you know, been very clear about supporting and and, and trying to do our part uh, as members of the opposition uh, supporting that initiative. We know how important it is. But, you know, the, my biggest concern, uh, one of them remains uh, the fact that, that staff are so tired they're exhausted they have been stretched uh we just you know these are people who have been working tirelessly for 18 months long shifts, very difficult circumstances so you know i'm very concerned about that and and we have, have raised your mlas you know todd Destone mm-hmm. and peter millibar have raised the issue of your hospital and the challenges that have been uh, articulated there so we all need to keep pressing to make sure that those staffing challenges are being addressed
0: well, I definitely have some concerns about that, and I'm sure you do as well. I've talked to both Todd and Peter about this issue uh, in the last little while, about the concerns with staffing at Royal Inland Hospital, because we have been seeing people leave their positions due to burnout and stress. Um, and, you know, we've heard from from the NDP government at this point in time saying they have a bit of a plan to sort of hopefully you know boost staffing levels, but their plan doesn't really help in the immediate it's looking like a year at the very least from now mm-hmm. and probably two three four years out we might start to see some uh, added complements coming into the the healthcare workforce mm-hmm. but that doesn't help the situation right now i mean you 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 touched on it there but obviously there is quite a bit of concern
1: that is exactly the issue that, you know, we, we too welcome the uh, the additional dollars that were uh, allocated to Northern Health, for example. We always have challenges recruiting and retaining uh, healthcare professionals. Uh, we know that we need to train more and certainly we were glad to hear uh, some news about that. But it's not in the immediate future and that's a significant challenge. You know, one of the things we need to do is we need to drive down the number of people who have uh, covid uh who have COVID issues who are in intensive care units and the way we do that is by making sure that as many people uh, that can be vaccinated are because you know the other worry of course is that when you have intensive care units that are basically um, uh, completely filled by unvaccinated COVID patients other services also are impacted. You see surgical delays, you see other challenges for medical services in communities and that in and of itself is another problem so you know it, it seems almost simplistic when you say you know get vaccinated that will help but it will and uh, so we need to keep driving that message home and our job as the opposition is also to ask those hard questions of the government about we support public health orders we have since the beginning of the pandemic but implementation matters and what is the backup plan and how are we going to ensure that our health care professionals can uh, work their way through this. So it is a legitimate job of the opposition to actually ask those hard questions, and we certainly intend to do that. Yeah,
0: and and one of the things you have brought up a couple of times now is talking about getting those who can get vaccinated to go in and get Mm -hmm. their vaccine. Of course, we know those under the age of 12 cannot get a vaccine, and there was some Mm -hmm. news coming down about that here today. Speaking to schools, uh, there has been a mass mandate in place for grades 4 through 12. Now there's being one implemented for those in kindergarten to grade 3. Uh, um, uh, you know it's it's not a, a huge step but it is a step i think that will hopefully have some impact in reducing the spread because we are seeing quite a few exposure events right now in schools across this province i guess just initial reaction to moving to that mandate now province-wide mm-hmm. for k to three in addition to the 4 to 12.
1: Well, obviously, concerned about the number of cases that are occurring in schools and in that particular age group. Uh, we called on this government uh, long before school uh, began this year to lay out a fully uh, thought out uh, strategic plan around back to school. And we asked for information that I think parents expect they should have, you know, what ventilation improvements have been made in districts and specific schools. That is an important thing and parents deserve to know that, you know, we've asked about the notification process and yes while the government did back up on their decision to discontinue that we're still concerned the expectation is that parents have to go to a website You know, at the end of a long day with kids at home, we're now expecting parents again to go to a website. Um, So we're saying there, you know, there need to be better ways to do that. We've been asking about the use of rapid tests, Mm -hmm. you know, where and when could we utilize those to make sure that that's helping drive down the number of cases. We've seen delays in contact tracing. Uh, There's all kinds of issues related to that. And it comes down to we said to the government, where is your plan long before September 1st? And, uh, again, it's it's a reactive situation. You know, every, every other day we get another announcement. So, you know, we were disappointed that that took so long. Uh, and, you know, uh, today at least there's another piece in place, but there are lots of other details that the government should be taking care of when it comes to addressing the concerns of staff and parents in schools.
0: Yeah, what about uh, the the talk? I mean, you, you mentioned how parents are going to have to go onto a website to find this information. That's just another in the long line of of lists of concerns about how that va- vaccine or uh, COVID information is being relayed mm-hmm. to the public. I mean, we have to go back to the I think it was late last week where we got the release talking about how if people are no longer infectious in ICUs, they're no longer mm-hmm. counted in the hospital stats. And that's just muddying the waters for a lot of people, including myself, even more than they already were in terms of how case numbers are counted and how. Uh, impacted hospitals are. It feels like there's a bit of a smudging of the information there. Um, Just, Mm -hmm. you know, overall, when we're talking about how info is being portrayed to us here in the public, I mean, you got to continue to have some concerns with with the numbers, and it feels, whether it's true or not, it it certainly feels like some numbers are being hidden.
1: You know know what the problem is, and the significant issue that, that happens after something like that is the fact that people lose trust. And right now, we need people to have all the information they possibly can have. And we've been calling since the beginning of the pandemic for complete transparency because that's what changes people's behavior. If they know uh, the circumstances, for example, in Smithers or Vanderhoof, they are a lot more likely to personalize that, to localize it, and to actually make some of those difficult personal choices. So, in fact, on a call recently with the minister directly, Uh, elected officials whether you were a mayor or an MLA were saying we need more localized very granular data to help us get the message across to those people who at this point are still reluctant so you're absolutely right. We have to keep pressing for more information, more detailed information. We have said all along that we help. We think that when people get that kind of information, it helps shape their decision-making. So certainly parents deserve as much information as possible, and there's been lots of frustration about that. They want their kids to be safe in schools. We want staff to be safe. One of the ways you help do that is by giving them the, uh, the most information you possibly can.
0: Uh, Here with the interim leader of the B.C. Liberal Party, Shirley Bond. So with Monday being the first day back in the legislature in quite some time, uh, just kind of throw the ball into your court here. What are some of your priorities? There's no shortage of issues Mm -hmm. going on from COVID-19. We could get into Ferry Creek, but I guess what is sort of on the top of your hit list right now?
1: Well, obviously, uh, a question period uh, will be front and center once again. And, and I work very closely with Peter Milibar. Very lucky to have him as our House Leader. I appreciate his leadership. And, of course, Todd Stone. Uh, you know, we have lots of issues. We need to talk about wildfires and the response. Lots of people uh, in, in your region were significantly impacted about how we fight, by how we fight fires. Uh, Those kinds of things matter. Uh, You know, certainly as the critic for long-term care, I stop and think about the heat dome, which took the lives of almost 600 mostly frail elderly people in British Columbia. We need to understand what happened there. And, of course, the devastating news that we got just this week that, once again, record-setting numbers when it comes to the opioid Mm -hmm. crisis in British Columbia. Uh, You know, we have uh, uh, roughly six people a day die as the result uh, of of, uh, opioids. And we need to see a better plan from this government. So as you point out, not a, there's certainly not a lack of issues. And we will uh, begin to uh, go back to the legislature and continue to hold the government to account.
0: Yeah, well, since you brought up overdoses, too, I'll just get you to, to uh, weigh in on the whole naloxone kit issue because that mm-hmm. kind of came out of nowhere last week when it was uh, ma- mm-hmm. made pointed out that we're having a severe shortage of naloxone kit stock right now. Uh, that is obviously an issue when we see so many people losing their lives daily from this crisis.
1: Well, that was a devastating uh, that was devastating news when you stop and think about the fact that you know we, we wish we didn't need to use naloxone kits, but what, what happened was the government made a decision to cut funding for naloxone kits for law enforcement. Uh, organizations in British Columbia and it was uh, those uh, law enforcement groups that raised the alarm bell saying what are we going to do Uh, they are literally a matter of saving a life and so uh, we've raised the issue uh, we raised it very quickly Uh, the premier uh, made the comment that he would uh, look at making sure that continued the funding continued it never should have been cut in the first place and you know the premier on that day that he heard uh, the concern should have said Immediately, we are continuing that funding. So, uh, again, I, you know, at a time when we see, you know, the numbers that we saw that were released this Wednesday, that was this past Wednesday, were actually for July. And it was the second highest number of recorded uh, deaths uh, that, that, that since the beginning of the opioid crisis. So, it is not getting any better. And we need to take the same kind of effort, energy, and focus that's engaged when we look at things like, like COVID and other things, we have a crisis on our hands in British Columbia. It is a, an opioid overdose crisis, and we need to hold the government to account, count, and we need to start seeing some very significant uh, changes in their strategy.
0: Lots to go over here. Thank you so much for your time as always, Shirley. Really do appreciate you joining me here on this Friday. And uh, yeah, lots, lots to keep in mind as we head back into the legislature in Victoria next week. So appreciate you coming on and previewing some of what's on your radar and we'll definitely be tuned in to see uh, if any progress is made. And. Question period is always just fun to watch, so I'm looking forward
1: to it. <laughs> well, and we lo- look forward to uh, your You're welcome to call. We'll uh, certainly be on whenever you need us to be. So thanks very much. Have a good weekend, and uh, we'll be heading back to the legislature, ready to hold the government to account.
0: Great stuff. That is Shirley Bond right there, the interim leader of the B.C. Liberal Party, the official opposition joining us here. Again, the legislature set to get back in session on Monday. They're on for a week, then they're off for a week for Thanksgiving, and then back to sort of a a regular meeting schedule after that.